Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 546th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is playing with seeds and making history. We're talking with Neil Bringy about creating a new squash variety. Neil is a dedicated listener we invited on the show after learning he has developed a beautiful new variety of squash. Having a PhD in food science and active in his community and church in Elizabeth, Colorado, Neil works with a mind to educate and provide for his family by creating gardens for produce and butterflies. His photos have earned him multiple awards, and it was by sharing photos of his recent squash that he was able to see just how cool it is to create new varieties in his own gardens. Welcome to the show today, Neil. Are you ready to rock? Yes, let's do it. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Growing up, I loved to explore fields and woods and streams and gardens and I married Lida, who had a common interest in the outdoors, and we shared our enthusiasm with our children in the yard and on vacations. And this was in Missouri, and they had an annual native plant conference there that was real insightful to me. And soon we had over 50 different varieties of native plants in our half-acre property. Wow. <laughs> in this way, for example... We ate pawpaws and hazelnuts while providing food for the caterpillars of the zebra swallowtail butterfly and the polyphemus moth. It was a beautiful and rich environment for our children and guests to enjoy. Now we live in the high plains of Colorado, and uh, we have several acres to enrich with native plants and fruit and vegetable gardens. It's more of a botanical nature sanctuary than a farm, and the land is is manage like that. I save the seeds and we let the plants spread seeds on their own. And I'm always amazed what I see every year. Oh my gosh. No kidding. Does Now, do these native plants, are you counting the weeds as well? <laughs> I spent a lot of time the first years digging out uh, thistles and mullein and other 
uh, noxious weeds on the property, which previously had cows and horses. And then uh, there were so many wildflowers that were just dormant. And each year they, they multiply and become more and more spectacular. I discover a new plant every year, almost oh, every day. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. And the reason I asked the question about the, about the weeds is I've recently been hearing and seeing some research that's showing that our weeds are more nutritious than the grocery store food that we're buying in some cases. <laughs> I did eat dandelions this last spring. They were absolutely the most productive thing in my garden early <laughs> on besides asparagus. <laughs> oh, well, well nice yeah. on the asparagus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first time I ever did it, they were just at the right stage before the flowers came up that they were really tender, including the roots, mm -hmm. and abundant supply of food. Oh, definitely abundant supply of food. Right now, we're, <laughs> we had a wet winter here, and so we've got all kinds of globe mallow growing everywhere, which is high in, oh. in beta-carotene, and it tastes green. But, you know, in a pinch, we could eat it. You are in the high plains of Colorado, 6,800 feet. So you get snow into probably May? That's right. And the temperatures dip to 19 degrees for a couple of days. Wow. In mid-May, in mid -May, right when the fruit trees are blossoming. <laughs> and what do you do with that? Well... I tried various things unsuccessfully. Last time I tried to put a mini greenhouse over the trees, but the wind is so fierce during the storms that it really wasn't very successful. Mm. And then to top it off, the next month also has a challenge. We had two hailstorms, once that was like sandblasting, and the second one that was denting holes and everything causing $40,000 damage in our home. Wow. So our growing season is really July, August, and September. And a, we had freezing temperatures really dipped on like October 9th. So we really don't have October, except occasionally we'll have a year where it doesn't get that cold. Mm -hmm. And we'll harvest uh, produce in November. So it, it varies a lot from year to year. We don't know what's going to succeed. Yeah, it sounds like you need a greenhouse. Yes, there are lots of people with greenhouses, but that takes away from my nature sanctuary love. Oh, yeah, that it does. <laughs> that it does. All right, so winter squash. How did you decide to come up growing winter squash, and, and how did you come up with a new one? Well, we moved here nine years ago from Missouri, where squash bugs were a problem. I, I really had a hard time growing any squash and melons. So I was excited to try them here, and they worked really well. I especially liked the bluish pumpkins, Jared Dale, because they had lots of flesh and stored well. And I, I learned that that's a cross between a Cinderella squash and a Blue Hubbard. And so that's kind of neat. An organic farmer gave me a mix of exotic seeds, and one was a yellow pumpkin with green stripes. I love the unusual produce that one can't find in the grocery store. Exactly. So then I looked for what would be an interesting squash, and I really liked the beautiful colors of turban squash, and they grew well, and I saved the seeds from the best ones. And after a couple of years, an unusual one stood out. I think it crossed with that yellow pumpkin with green stripes because this turban squash had green stripes, and I saved those seeds. And then I looked at squash at the botanical garden displays in the fall, and 
noticed the Cinderella pumpkins and just thought they were the nicest in the bunch. So I looked online and on Etsy, I ordered five seeds from Yugoslavia for about $6. Wow. (laughs) The seed packet was from World Kitchen and they were beautiful, brilliant, I'd say vivid red pumpkins. And those red pumpkins and the green striped turban squash were grown in the same area and apparently the bees cross-pollinated them because the next year I saw this squash with the phenotype that I call the Christmas squash because it has green stripes and it's red. And the turban aspect is regressed. So it has good qualities from both of the types of squash. And that way it's kind of like that bluish squash that was a cross between Cinderella and Blue Hubbard. Didn't even think about that. But I grew it again the next year and it stayed true. And I only uh, was able to keep one in the end of the year. And so I'm cherishing those seeds to multiply it right in the coming summer. You used a term phenotype. Can you tell us what that is? That's like the characteristics of what it looks like and how it is structured. Ah, very good. You also used the term staying true. What does that mean? Well, it it wasn't crossed again and changed in what it looked like. It looks the same as the year before. Ah, got it. All right, cool. And So you're calling it the Christmas squash. Tell me about that. The things I like about it is that it has a very attractive red and green appearance, which I posted online on Instagram and and asked everyone, invited them to participate in thinking what I should call this new squash because I I really liked it. Uh And uh, someone suggested Christmas squash, and I thought that's perfect (laughs) because of its uh, color. Colors, yeah. Yeah. And it actually and we'll have pictures of it on our on our show notes page, but it actually looks like a turban. It the turban on the bottom, it looks like turban except it isn't sticking out. It's regressed. Oh, interesting. And how is it to eat it? Well, it has a better taste than turban squash and yet not as sweet as pumpkin. So I think it's it's just perfect for the types of foods that we you, we use squash for, mm-hmm. like uh, squash quinoa burgers and casseroles and roasted squash. Those are the main ways we eat winter squash. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the future of this Christmas squash? Well, that's how I came in touch with you, because I was I was praying in January, how could I get more involved in the community here? And then I get a, a phone call from something I signed up for in the fall, the Albert County Ag Alliance, and they gave me a call just seeing, you know, what they could do for me. And I said, well, actually, I'd like to do something for the community. And they said, well, we suggest that you, you know, do some blog posts and write some articles and and participate in these various things we have coming up. And so then I made this blog post about this new squash and, and said, what do you guys think I should do with this? One person is a regular listener of your program. And she said, please contact Greg Peterson. He will give you a wealth of information. Oh, nice. <laughs> and once you know it, the next week you had the seed saving oh, webinar. Yes. Yep. And that's how we got connected. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And it sounds like you're really excited about this. Oh, yes. Nice. And so what other plants are you playing with and are you, are you excited about? Well, I... I have a reddish purple carrot 
with dark orange inside that really likes growing here. I, I think I originally got the seed four years ago from an urban farmer seed company <laughs> of all names. <laughs> and it might have been the dragon carrot or the or a purple carrot, but it looks more like the dragon carrot when I see it online. Well, I, I let... I didn't really plan to save seeds, but I accidentally left some in the ground and they produced seeds the next year. And then I decided to spread those around instead of buying more. And I've been doing that now for four years and it's just an abundance of seeds and, and carrots. They're beautiful and tasty and, and large and, and they, they uh, like growing here. Yeah. I, I've found that with carrots, if you let them go to seed, you're never going to have a a shortage of carrots into the future. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's true. I also like this black quinoa plant. You have to live at high elevations to grow quinoa, so I thought, oh, why don't I try that? And I learned that the university here partnered with farmers on the San Luis Valley area. It's the highest agricultural region in the nation at 8,000 feet. And they've had problem with drought, so they were trying to grow black quinoa. Well, they had the other colors, too. Well, after years of developing something that worked well there, I got some seed myself and tried growing it here. It's fun to see how it develops over the years here in our garden. Yeah, it's always interesting to watch the evolution of seeds in your yard. I have at least two dozen different varieties of edibles, herbs, and vegetables, including carrots that I've planted over the past 20 years that just come back nice. year after year after year because I'm letting them go to seed, and, and it, it makes quite the difference. My favorite thing is over the last five years, I've just let this lettuce go to seed, and it's been repopulating every year. I don't have to plant it anymore. And not only that, it provides seeds for birds in the fall. Right. There's enough for both of us. It's just an abundance of birds with letting all these plants go to seed. Yeah. So it's really important to do a forest garden concept at your house where you just plant things and let them go to seed every year. And just, I don't even bother saving the seeds in a lot of cases. I just throw the seeds out and, you know, yeah. right from the plant that they ripened on. That's the case with the lettuce. I don't collect them at all. Yeah. And the birds don't eat all of them. Somehow it's just enough to come up every year. <laughs> nice. So why do you encourage people to plant gardens and manage their meadows? Well, the land just comes alive. It's a way of taking stewardship of the land. It's alive with butterflies and native bees and wildflowers and grasses and birds and frogs and snakes. It seems like I notice something new every day. And some wildflowers grow well in the vegetable garden. I let them grow in patches, and they provide blossoms for bees and butterflies while attracting birds in the fall. And it's like a wonderland, a nature sanctuary, and it's just delightful to go out there. And I'd like more people to experience that, especially with their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found that when kids grow something, they'll eat it no matter what it is. When I've had a family with a number of kids come into the garden and let them pick the onions and squash and, and see all the flowers and butterflies and everything, those kids are just so excited. You just can't imagine not giving them the opportunity to see it. Yeah. 
Nice. And you're a photographer. You've earned some awards. Tell me about that. I just delight in the plants and flowers and this whole experience so much that I want to share it with others and just have a real desire and an eye for taking pictures. And also uh, learning about the wildflowers, we went to the Crested Butte Wildflower Festival in Colorado and participated and provided pictures for their photo competition. And I've been able to help them in their marketing with my photographs. So we're welcome there every year. And so that encouraged me also then to put some books together with my pictures. Wow. And can people get those books? Yes. At uh, my website, creationspeech.com, there's a link to the books on butterflies, on gardens, and on animals. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Well, when we first moved to our property in Colorado, I mowed much of our property up in the front. We have about 10 acres. I only uh, skipped patches of Indian paintbrush and a few other flowers. I learned that this practice enabled various weeds to grow, and it was hard to manage. In contrast, I was impressed with the meadows in the wilderness. There's like, it's just absolutely beautiful without the problems that I was experiencing. So I decided to just mow around the edges and let the native grasses grow, protect the soil, and allow other life to emerge. Wow, (laughs) what a result. One of my most favorite and unique wildflowers came up in this area that I had been mowing for several years. Uh It's a unique colored white penstemon. The buds start out green and dark red and then turn light purple as they bloom. And I can't find anything like it online. And it just, it came up where I I would have never seen it if I didn't let it grow. This uh, change also may have contributed to me seeing nine different species of little blue butterflies on our property. Oh, wow. So the life just really emerged from something that was difficult to manage before. So your your failure was that you were mowing it. And yeah, yeah wow. And, and breaking my back, pulling <laughs> dandelions and all sorts of weeds. Right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And your your biggest success? My biggest success was to help my children and others to see the reality of God by creating gardens on our properties. God's wondrous works speak of his greatness. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And what drives you? Well, I, I saw this film called Behold Your God by John Schneider. And that film helped me to see that the core issue today is a low view of God. So I feel called to share my enthusiasm for God's creation to proclaim his greatness and see his son, Jesus, as a solution. So I use my gifts planting gardens and managing our meadows and hiking in the wilderness and meditating on the things God shows me and seek connections with the wisdom in his word, the Bible. And I call these discoveries creation speech, testimonies of wisdom. Uh... And that's what I illustrate in my books. Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I'd recommend the book that I came across in like 21 years ago that was very inspiring. It's called The Art of God, The Heavens and the Earth by Rick R.I.C. Ergenbright, E-R-G-E-N-B-R-I-G-H-T. 
it's still available on Amazon, I believe. Uh-huh. It's a it's a large tabletop book with exceptional photographs. His father was a photographer that traveled the world, and he went with them and and collected all of these pictures. And then his daughter inspired him as to how he could use these pictures in this book to share the artistry of God in creation. One certainly gets the message that the whole earth is full of God's glory as it's illuminated by God's written word in this book. Wow. Well, and, you know, when you look at your photography, I've got some pictures in front of me right now. They're spectacular. And you you have to wonder what universal energy, what, you know, what created them. Yeah. <laughs> His book inspired me to do a similar work at, at the level of, instead of scenery, but of butterflies and garden plants and and I really enjoy doing that. It's it's clear that it takes an infinite and wise God to be able to create all of these things that are interconnected and need each other to survive. Yeah. It's just mind boggling to think of all of that and all the connections and the beauty of it. And the more of it we make, the more glory he gets. Yeah. Yeah. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, I advise that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and follow the advice that God gave his people through the prophet Jeremiah. It includes gardens and community. Here's the advice. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where you have sent, where I have sent you, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So I love that. It tells us to plant gardens and eat their produce, and to participate in the community and bless it, and we'll be blessed as we do that. Yeah. So that's what I love to do and advise others. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Neil. You're welcome. How can our listeners find you and find out more information about these great seeds in your photographs? Please see my website, creationspeech.com, no space, and there's a contact tab, and it has links to Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest sites with the same name. Excellent. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Christmas squash. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. 
It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.